So for the past few weeks, uh, we have been doing a study on 1 John. Rob, Rob took a brief break from it. Uh, and I don't normally do this. I don't normally just steal whatever Rob's doing. Uh, but he was really looking forward to it. So I was like, hey, Rob, I'm just going to take that passage. I'll take that one off your hands. Uh, and he, he didn't seem to mind too much. He said uh, I had free reign. So we'll be in 1 John uh, chapter 5, covering verses 1 through 5 this morning. And I'd just like to start by reading those verses to you. Um, so as you take a moment to get there, and I'm in the English Standard Version, so that's what will be on the screen. Uh, so if it's a little different than what you have, that'll be all right. So it says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Okay. Last, well, the week before last, Rob covered a very well-known passage that talks about the importance of love. The importance of love, us understanding God's love for us, us understanding the importance of us loving one another, brothers and sisters in Christ, people who don't believe, who are far away, who don't know God's love. This week, at the end of this letter, John uses the words faith and belief more than at any other point in the letter. He uses those words a total of 10 times. He uses them seven in the last bit of this letter. So what he's doing is he's taking all of the common themes that we've been covering and he's showing how they're interconnected and how ultimately, if we're going to do anything, if we're going to be a godly body, if we're going to be the body of Christ, if we're going to be rooted in him, if we're going to love like him, if we're going to be warned about the Antichrist and the Antichrists and those who are going to come in and spread false teaching, if we're going to be people who are able to serve God, we need to be a people who are rooted in the gospel. We need to have a strong faith, a strong belief in Jesus and who he is. So there are three main themes that he ties together in these five verses as he gets ready to wrap up this letter. The first is correct theology, right? That's just our, our basic beliefs in who God is and in what he's done, our trust in the gospel. The second is our love for God and the God-like love for others. And then the third is a happy and joyful obedience to God. He shows how these three things are intertwined and how without a proper belief in the gospel, without a strong faith that is rooted very deeply in us knowing the person of Jesus Christ, we will not have these things. We will, to quote Paul in Ephesians 4, we will be washed and thrown about by every, every idea and doctrine. We'll be thrown about violently if we don't truly and deeply know the person and work of Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. So up until now, he's given us a lot of information, right? Truth about God, truth about God's character, 
told you warnings, commandments about how to live, how to love, what to do and what not to do, right? And now he's tying it together. He's saying, this is how you're going to do it. Are you struggling? Absolutely, we're all struggling, right? We're all struggling to love people. We're all struggling to love coworkers. We're all struggling to believe the gospel. We're all struggling with anxiety. We're all struggling with coworkers. He's saying, these are things that happen. We're all struggling with believers. Believers that we know who say they believe the same things that we believe. We're struggling with lost people. We're struggling with confusion about how someone who's lost can be more kind to me than a brother in Christ or a sister in Christ. We're struggling with all these things. How are you going to get through it? How are you going to deal with it? It has to be because you are deeply rooted in Jesus. And we have a deep understanding of who he is and of what he's done for us. So we titled this sermon, Faith That Overcomes, because that is exactly what he's talking about. These people have had a lot of issues. And now he's saying, there's a faith that overcomes. But there are some things that we have to hit. Okay? So that's what he's doing. Also, don't mind this jacket. Rob is the rich one. I'm just the poor associate youth guy. So, like, I don't have a fancy sports jacket. I'm just, I just wear this. So when I'm cold, I wear what poor coaches wear. So this is it, if you're wondering. Um, so this is where we're going with. Okay? If I start to sweat, I won't take it off. I won't flash it. You don't have to worry about that. So I want to start by helping us see just a basic understanding of faith. What is faith? When you Google faith, two definitions come up, okay? The first is complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And the second, strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion, all right, based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. It's a secular definition, right? It's not a biblical definition. Other people that you may know, I've even, I've even said this at one point. I've said, faith is just trust in that which we cannot see. And that's not a bad definition. Some people describe faith as a blind leap. And that's partially true. But I think in Scripture, we get a better definition, a more accurate definition of who God is laid out. And it has many implications, many applications. So while we can't see Jesus like the disciples did, we still see God working. And Scripture shows us a God that we can trust because he's a God who keeps his promises. So when we talk about faith, we have to talk about who we have faith in and who we have trust in. It's not a blind faith. It's not just, hey, you might not be able to see him physically, but we can see him working. And his, his word, scripture, lays out clearly who God is and how he's a God that we can trust because he's a God that is so powerful and so mighty and who's steadfast. His character is unchanging. It's unwavering. That's the God that I want to talk about tonight, uh, this morning. I'm used to preaching that for youth. It's always tonight, so I always say, oh, that's what we want to talk about tonight. So we don't have time to go over every promise that he's ever given us, but there's a couple ones that I feel like stand out that might really, really encourage you for where you are in life. So we know that he promised Abraham that he would make him a great nation and give him descendants as numerous as the stars. And we know that he did this. And we know that he continued to fulfill this promise long after Abraham bid it and was dead and was gone, right? And that showed that he's not just a God who's 
fulfilling a contractual obligation and as soon as we're, we're gone or as soon as this time period is over, he's done with us. No, he shows that he's a God who's faithful throughout every generation for all people, despite what happens, despite how we mess up, despite how we break the covenant. He doesn't break the covenant. He doesn't quit. So he continues to prove his steadfast character through his interactions with all kinds of people throughout Scripture. Moses stands out in particular, right? Through the exodus, the people being, being rescued by God from Egypt and eventually settling in the promised land. I want to really focus on Moses for a minute. God was constantly giving Moses guidance, assurance, and providing for him. So sometimes it was a great miracle. He would part the Red Sea or he'd lead the people by a pillar of cloud by day or a pillar of fire by night. I know sometimes we get so stressed out. We're like, God, I just need a sign. I need to see you. We'd be like, man, if I could see that, that would fix everything, right? That would fix everything. But these people saw that and it didn't didn't fix everything for them, right? Sometimes it was as simple as telling him that he would give him the words to speak and this is what I want to focus on first before we dive into verse 1. So I want to read this to you. It says, in Exodus 4, verses 10 through 16, Moses says to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is there not Aaron your brother the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people. He shall be your mouth. You shall be as God to him. So there are two things that I love about this passage. The first is that Moses is just like us. Moses is afraid. Moses is looking for any excuse. Moses is like, I don't want to lead these people. I don't know what to say. God, you're going to have to help me out. I have been there. I am sure you have been there. Every time I get up here, to stand and preach before anyone at this church, at any other church, I get a sick feeling. And that's good for me because it reminds me that I'm not about to get up here and do it in my own power. I need God to do it. When I first got saved and I wanted to start sharing my testimony and sharing about who God was and what he had done for me, I was scared, panicking, anxious, didn't know what to do. What I love about Scripture is that there are people, there were people and there still are people that are just like us. The problems haven't changed. It's people with the same problems. That's us. What does Moses do? God, I need your help. I need you to help me speak. That's us. That is our prayer. God, I need you to help me talk to my coworker. I need you to give me wisdom. I don't know what to say to my kids. I don't know what to say to my coworkers. I don't know what to say to my, my spouse. Give me wisdom. 
What do you want me to say? How do I handle this situation? I need you to speak because I'm a fool and I don't have anything unless it comes from you. That is so encouraging to me because without God, I can't do anything. He's a God that always comes through. And what does he tell him? I will give you the words. How encouraging. What a wonderful, mighty, powerful God. He says, I got you. I'll take care of you. Now Moses does exactly what we do. Exactly what I do. It's like, all right, God, that is awesome. I still don't, I still don't want to do that. I'm still, I don't feel great about that. He comes up with another excuse. He's still scared. What's God's response? Well, I'll give you a partner. He doesn't pour out wrath upon him. He says, I got you. I'll send someone else with you. That's the picture that I want us to start with. We have a gracious God who's not afraid to love us and have compassion on us and to continue to help us and to guide us and to embolden us and empower us. Why am I telling you all, why am I talking about all of this? This is a God that we can trust no matter what is happening in our lives. This is a God that you can put your faith in. When it doesn't seem like it's the right thing to do, when it doesn't seem like it's the smart thing to do, you can trust this God. So, we can trust a God who has proven himself to be a God who always keeps his promises, who is loving, and who is kind, and who never abandons us, but always guides us. So I told you there are three things in this passage that are connected by faith and that are dependent on it. That first one is that correct theology, that right belief, our trust in the gospel. That second one is our love for God and a God-like love for others. And then the third is a joyful obedience to God. So as we work our way through this passage, my hope is that our faith will be strengthened as we see God's perfect plan for us and his provision for us in Jesus and how our belief in the gospel will empower us to live out the commands that God has given us in 1 John. So each verse will cover an aspect of our Christian life and a problem that we have to overcome, a common problem, a common misconception, or an issue, or a fear, right? It will address the struggles that we have to overcome, but how they can only be overcome by our faith being rooted in Jesus. I used to think that the goal of preaching was to step up here and to challenge what you believed and to challenge what you thought and to make you think, oh, I need to do better. I've come to a different conclusion. The purpose of our preaching is to equip and encourage and to renew and restore your soul with the truths of Jesus, with the truths of the gospel. I don't want to challenge you and make you feel bad. I want your heart to be transformed as you hear the word of God and are equipped to live a different life than the life that the world broadcasts for us, than the bait that they give us. Because it's terrible and it's poisonous and it slowly kills us and wounds us and makes us worse. And God's word does the opposite of that. So that's what I really want to focus. So as we look at verse 1 here, And I'll read it again very briefly. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 
I just want to cover that first half. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, okay? So what's the first thing that we have to overcome? If we were to live a life marked by faith in Jesus, and the answer is any teaching that tries to tell us that we need to do anything other than to simply trust in Jesus and who he is. So this is that right belief in the gospel. This is that first point, okay? So here's something that you have to understand before we dive into this. Sometimes I'm a 59-year-old man in the body of a 23-year-old. So that means I'm going to talk about present tense and past tense language like your English teachers used to. And it's going to be terrible, but I promise I'm not going to bore you too much, right? So we have to notice something here in this first verse. John uses a present tense verb at the beginning of the sentence. And then he uses what the Greeks call a perfect tense verb. It looks like a past tense, but it's perfect. So here's what that means. Believes is present tense. Born of God is perfect tense. So here's what you have to understand. They're using these two words in the same sentence to teach us something about what we believe. Here's what it means. When you put your trust in Jesus, you are saved. You are made sinless and holy in God's eyes. The work is done. There's nothing that you need to do. There's nothing that you can do to be saved. You can't earn your salvation. You can't work harder for God to love you. You can't do it. The only thing for you to do is to trust in him. God has already done it. This means you don't have to work hard. You don't have to be good. You just need to know Jesus. You need to know his love. So everyone, meaning anyone, any person, anywhere, anytime, who puts their faith in Jesus, who believes that he became flesh and blood, that he experienced the pains that we experience, the temptations that we experience, the ultimate form of suffering, physical and spiritual and emotional, the wrath of God being poured out upon him, anyone who believes those things, they are reborn. When he says reborn, born of God, that means you are made brand new. You are a new creation. The work has been done. It is being done. It will be done. That's your salvation. Not, hey, you did good today. You better do good tomorrow in order for you to be saved. No, he's saying your salvation is secure despite how you mess up. Despite how you speak to your kids. Despite how you speak to your spouse. Despite how you mess up at work, you are loved. You are saved. You are cared for. Despite your past and despite your failures, God loves you. He wants you. Jesus died for you. His desire is for you in your heart. And then he gives you a new heart. And that's where the sanctification comes in. And that's where people get off and we get wrong. We say, oh, you're, you say you're a Christian, but you're not doing this and you're not doing this and you're not doing this. No, it's, did you put your faith in Jesus? Have you experienced the love of Jesus? If you have, you are saved. He's going to change your heart now. He's going to transform your heart. That love is what's going to shape and mold you 
We do, not because we have to, but because we've experienced His love and we're being changed and molded and shaped and transformed by Him. He gives you new godly passions and desires. These new passions, they take time to form. I got to go home yesterday. And it's always funny when you go home because if you have siblings and you have a bunch of people around, they like to talk about the past. They like to talk about the things that you used to do and the things that you used to say, the things that you used to listen to. So my sister, we were, we were like this. And Harley, she just knows me better than anybody. And I'm not the man that I used to be. Praise the Lord. I was a goofball and uh, did a lot of silly, just awful simple things, right? And we used to have this old beater. It was a 98 Chevrolet Cirrus with a sunroof and the thing would barely come down. And uh, we used to listen to the most awful music in that vehicle. It was awful. I was like, you remember when we used to listen to this? And I said, oh, yeah. I can't believe I ever listened to that. That was terrible. I can't think of a message that would be further from the gospel. And I honestly, when I look back, I'm like, why did I think that this was any good? Like, what was this communicating? How did this bring me joy? That doesn't make any sense, right? It's funny because those are the things. That's a perfect example of God changing passions and desires in your heart. And what's funny was, you remember when you got saved and you got baptized at Crossroads, and then you would say, we're just going to listen to this song one more time. We're just going to listen to it one more time. And so I'd tell her, we're going to listen to that one more time. And then we'd listen to it, and I'd be like, oh, why did I listen to that? That wasn't, even, that wasn't even good. That's a perfect example of how God begins to change our passions, change our desires. Okay? So she brings that up, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was awful. I said, I don't listen to that anymore. I said, because that's not glorifying to God, and God has changed my heart. He's constantly changing us. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, we see a good example of what it means for us to be saved by grace through faith alone. That's exactly what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And here it is again. Paul's super clear. John's super clear. Our salvation comes from God alone, not our works, not because you're constantly praying. It's the opposite. God saves us, not because of us, but despite us. Our sanctification, our process of becoming more like Jesus, it starts after we put our trust in Him, not before. We have to trust God. We have to submit to Him. Once we trust and we believe, then we start to become more and more like Jesus. So this raises another important question, okay, as we move on to the next part. Why is faith important after I'm saved? So we just covered initial salvation, right? This is how you can be saved. You need to trust in that Jesus. Now what? I'll be saying... Now what, Dalton? Now what, Pastor? What's the point? I just come and sit in church now? I show up, I drop a tithe in the box, and then I go about my day? Absolutely not. If that's how we see church, please listen. Don't just get saved. That's not the end of the road. Don't just get baptized. That's not it. 
Those are good things. Being saved means we start our relationship with Jesus. Being saved means we follow what Paul's saying in verse 10 of Ephesians 2. We are his worksmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He created us to be in relationship with Jesus. He says, you're created in Jesus for good works, meaning we're made new in Jesus. We are designed to walk with him, designed to do his work, designed to be set apart, designed to follow his plan for our lives. So this takes us to the next verse, which has another issue, another thing for us to overcome, right? This is our second point. We have to have a love for God and a God-like love for others. So how is that attached to faith and what do we have to overcome, right? We are now called to love others who have been born of God. Verse 1b, everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Tells us that as our love for God grows, we should begin to love others, right? Others who have put their faith in Jesus as well. And this isn't a superficial, distant love. This is an up-close and real personal kind of love that resembles the heart of Jesus. This is that life-on-life. This is the same way Jesus walked with the disciples and he got to know them and he rubbed shoulders with them and things got personal and sticky and there were arguments and the people were fighting amongst themselves and Jesus had to calm them down and he'd say, hold up, let's slow down, let's back up. Scripture shows us that this type of love is radical and that it doesn't always make sense. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 even says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. What does that mean? It means like the world isn't going to get it. They're not going to understand what you're doing. They're not going to understand the love of Jesus. They're not going to understand if you're trying to love people the way that Jesus loves them, the way that Jesus loves us. So this gospel love is foreign to us. It's unnatural, especially if you grew up outside of church and outside of a biblical church like this church, which has been under so many godly people here at Crossroads. And I'm still trying to figure out how to trust this God that loves me without having to perform So what does this mean for us? Where does this love stem from and how do I get it? Right? We have to answer these questions. How am I going to overcome my desire to not love these other people, to not love these other believers, to not love these unbelievers, these people who are rude and wicked to me, right? I have to learn to love people despite how they perform even though that's the only way that I received love growing up. You have to learn to love the way Jesus loves you. So for me, you grow up, you perform, you do well, you're loved, you get your pat on the back. That's it. So how do I reciprocate love to people? Well, Jesus had to show me how you love people when they do well. When people don't perform You're not as encouraging. You're not as kind. You're not as loving. We have to learn to work ourselves out of what we've been raised in by the world and then work ourselves into how God 
loves us and how he would have us love other people. So he says, the natural person does not accept these things of the spirit of God for they are folly to him. They're foolishness to him. We won't understand unless we understand the gospel, unless we're trusting God. God doesn't operate based off of our performance. We are loved despite our failures because we're covered in the blood of Jesus. So what does that mean for our lives? It means that we can love our brothers and sisters who don't perform. You can love the people who work under you who do not show up on time. It doesn't mean that you don't talk to them about not showing up on time, right? And you guys can tell. I show up on time most of the time. So when I show up for work and people aren't there, it bothers me too, right? When I show up and I'm late, it bothers me even more because I hold myself to a high standard, right? Some of you, you're like, oh yeah, it bugs me when people don't show up on time. How dare you waste my time, right? That's how we view our time. That is not how God views things. Does God want you to do what he wants? Does God desire you? Does he want you to follow his perfect will? Absolutely. Absolutely he does. But he also wants you to see them the way that he sees you. Covered in the blood of Jesus. Precious. Beloved. Valuable. Worthy of the death of his son. That's how he wants us to see one another. So when the people that work under you or your coworkers show up late and you have to do all the work, tell them that and see how that goes over. You are valuable. I love having you here. I wish that you were here on time. I care about you no matter what happens, right? That's hard to do. You can't do that unless you understand that God sees you like that. When you mess up and when you fail and when you're not on time, that's how God sees us. If we don't understand how God sees us, then we will never see other people the same way and we won't be able to love them like that, right? We won't be able to love other people when they mess up or when they make a rude comment about us or when they discourage us intentionally or unintentionally or when they offend us in any way. We won't be able to serve them and love them the way Jesus served and loved us, right? So the gospel, it forgives a lot. It is gracious. It gives people far better than they deserve, and it doesn't expect anything back in return. So when we have interactions with people, we have to be prepared to do the same thing. We have to know that our interactions with people will have to cause it. We will have to sacrifice Right? The same way Jesus sacrificed for us. We have to hold fast to Jesus. We have to cling to Jesus and understand, Jesus sacrificed for me. I have to sacrifice for them and expect nothing in return except for the desire to love them and to know that I'm doing what God has called me to do. You can only do that if you cling fast to Jesus. Verses 2 and 3, these verses lead us into the next issue that we overcome through faith. This is that last issue of finding joyful obedience and following God. So it says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. This is probably the most powerful verse to me in these first five verses of chapter five. These verses show us that we have 
an inaccurate view of God. At least the people that he's writing to have an inaccurate view of God. I know I have an inaccurate view of God all the time, right? There's always something that I, I process and I think about, and I'm like, that wasn't, that wasn't right. That wasn't the way that God has called me to see that. That's not the way he wanted me to handle that, right? So we get an unhealthy and an inaccurate view of God. Because we think that following him at times is a burden. So we want to see God for who he is. Not an angry God, not a demander, not a commander, right? Not someone who's weighing us down with commands. But a God who lifts our burdens, who frees us, right? So Satan tries to play this awful game with us. And you can think about how he's tried to play this game with you, okay? He wants you to think that you are more free and that you'll be more happy if you are not following the Lord. If you are free of all responsibility, right? I look at my friends, I look at my coworkers, I look at guys from college, I look at guys who are in ministry and who are not in ministry now, who went down the wrong path, and I see how we followed this lie. Satan wants you to think, If you are free from responsibility, you will be the happiest you. Why? Because then you are free to focus on you. And you are the most important thing, right? You are the most important thing. So you need to focus on you, and you need to find your own happiness, and you don't need to worry about God. And you don't need to worry about anybody else. And then you will find true happiness. Does that sound familiar? Has anyone heard that before? I hear that all the time at the middle school. I hear that all the time around adults. I hear that everywhere I go. It doesn't matter what age. It doesn't matter where. I heard that in Nepal. I heard that in China. I hear it in the States. That's everywhere. Everywhere. That could not be farther from the truth. Many of you who have experienced the love and the goodness of Jesus know that Jesus does not burden you with any commands. Jesus lifts that burden. I want to share these verses with you that I know that you know, that we need to hang on to. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. What does he say? Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is not the heart of a demanding God, but a loving one. God does not weigh you down with commands. He desires your heart. He desires what is best for you. And then he shows us a perfect way to live life in his word, which is why we're here today, right? To be equipped by his word, to know him, to be restored and to be equipped. He shows us a perfect way He shows us the ultimate wisdom for how to live life in every situation. He shows us there's a joy and a peace that can only be found in Him. There's a rest that can be achieved when you are working harder than you've ever worked before. And that's when you're working for Jesus. Right? If you haven't found rest, if you haven't found joy, if you're walking around carrying a heavy heavy burden today, Today is the last day that you have to do that. You don't have to do that anymore. 
You can give that to Jesus today. The weight of your sin can be lifted. One of the most wonderful things about God is that not only does he set us free from our sin, but he shows us the better way and what we've been missing out on the whole time. He desires for us to experience the true joy of walking with him and living according to his perfect word. How can you trust him? How could you possibly trust that kind of God? A really good illustration for you. Last week, if you were here, you saw William come up to the stage with Rob, and he stands with Rob, and he holds his hands, and he stands on his boots, right? And he lifts him. But you may not have seen Rebecca walking over here, him dismissing everyone for kids' church, and William diving headfirst off the stage into Rebecca's arms. That kid is shy around everyone else but his family. He is a daredevil. Why would he do that? He trusts her. He trusts Rob. He loves them. And he knows I could jump off the top of this building and somebody's going to catch me. Is that smart? No. At some point, is he going to learn and it might not be great? Yes. What's the point of me telling you that? God will never let you fall. He calls us to do crazy things that don't make sense. He calls us to pick up people on the side of the road. He calls us to love people who wound us and hurt us. He calls us to forgive as we've been forgiven. He calls us to do some crazy stuff, which is why we just talked about how it's foolish to everyone else. That's why it's radical. That's why it changes our hearts. That's why it saves us. That's why we experience the true joy of knowing Jesus. This is a different God. He gives us a different life. He gives us a true joy. Don't miss out on that joy. Be restored in knowing that he loves you like that. I love, I love all of you and the heart that you have. And it is my greatest desire for all of us to know Jesus and walk deeply and personally with him together. And that means that I'm going to mess up, we're all going to mess up, but that there is always going to be grace for us. That we can always walk more deeply with him, and that's the goal of why we gather, right? To know him more deeply and to help our community in the ends of the earth, every person to know him. That's our greatest desire, to make disciples of all nations, right? And to walk with him. We can't do that if we don't know him deeply. We can't do that if we don't have the right view of him. We can't do that if we don't trust him like that. We can't do that if we can't say, God, I trust you. I know this is crazy. I'm going to do it anyways. I know this doesn't make sense on paper. It's just like Rob said. He came here, graduated seminary, church in Dallas wanted him. He was from Houston. Everything on paper said, go to the bigger church. They're going to pay you more money. You're having a baby. They're pregnant with Catherine. God said, go to Vinton. He said, God, are you serious? And where'd he go? And he's been here 27 years. He's been here a long time. And he has faithfully loved so many people who didn't know the Lord. I think about when I was here and the father figure and the godly man that he was for me. And he let me get up on this stage when I was 17 when I came back from Nepal and preach a sermon 
That's crazy. To a bunch of people that he had been faithfully serving. And he trusted the Lord. That's what it's about. Trusting God. I'm using, using discernment. I'm not telling you to be crazy and just go picking up random people on the side of the road, right? Listening to God and trusting him. Trusting him. Knowing his heart. Taking the time to know him. And then following him. Right? Doing what he's called us to do. Okay? As we wrap up, we're going to cover just a couple more verses. Verses 4 and 5. Before we do that, I want you guys to see how God doesn't just bear our burdens. Jesus didn't just take our burdens, but he calls us to be like him. In Galatians, what does he call us to do? He calls us to do the same thing he's been doing for us. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, just like Jesus, who is gentle and lowly, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We get to do on a much smaller scale what Jesus has done for us. So you say, how can I love these people? How can I love these people who persecute me, who are rude to me, who come in and they cuss me out and they do things that we can't even say, right? How can I love those people? Jesus loved me when I was like that. Think about when I was, when I was in high school and I was just the most awful, the most awful teenager that I could have ever been, right? I see kids now and I'm like, golly, that's what I used to be like, right? And Jesus loved me. I can't believe that. I'm still dumbfounded by that. I was like, golly, I'm really getting over on this, the guy in the sky. If he, would, if he would love me, if he would desire me, if he would die for me and bring me into his family. And we are humble and we see ourselves like that and we see how God loved us that way. It will change us and help us begin to love others and allow us to bear their burdens the same way that Jesus bore ours continues to bear ours, right? So, verses 4 and 5 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Which is what we've been talking about, right? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So what are we overcoming? The world, sin, Satan, false teachings, terrible things that you see on social media that people are trying to spread around, the political division, all the division in the church. We're trying to be united in who? In Jesus, because he unites us. He calls us to be united in the spirit, to work as one, to work for a higher purpose, right? To work to help people know the one true God who loves them more than anyone else ever could, who can fix more than any politician ever can right? Jesus isn't concerned about red and blue. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be concerned about those things. I think there are godly people in great positions, and you need to do, you need to follow your convictions, your biblical convictions, right? But your first concern is Jesus and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. Those are the greatest two commandments. Jesus said the whole law summed up with these two things. Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two greatest things. When we're focused on that, 
we'll be all right, right? So he says, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who, that, who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? How are you going to overcome the world? How are you going to deal with the terrible things, the anxiety, the depression, the suffering, the pain? You're going to hold fast to Jesus, the one who overcame the world for us, the one who overcame Satan for us by dying on that cross for us, by loving us the way no one else has ever loved you and no one else ever will love you, right? It'll be a challenge. It'll be difficult. It'll be hard for us to do. But we will always have Jesus to help us through. All those difficult times, all those difficult moments, he is there with you, guiding you. He's given us the power this Holy Spirit that dwells within us. We are to cling to these gospel truths. So if the sermon two weeks ago about loving people really challenged you and you were struggling with how am I going to love those people, this passage, this is the fuel for your tank. The gospel is what will motivate you and transform you to love in a way that no one else has ever loved you. To trust God in a way that no one else has ever trusted you in a way that you've never trusted anyone else, right? To trust you in a crazy way, like William, diving off the stage over here. I'm telling you, you've got to watch him next time. You'll see something crazy if he's back up here. So what I want to do is I want to pray for you.